My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City, and uh, we're glad that you are here. Welcome to Christ City Church. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, however you're tuning in, whatever platform you're on, uh, drop us a line, say hi, tell us where you're, you're viewing us from, um, like, subscribe, and uh, comment. Um, we want to hear from you. Uh, now is the time for our scripture, so I'll hand over to Andrews. Please stand as you're able to reverence the reading of God's Word. Today's reading is from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He said, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, uh, Christ City Church. We're, I'm thrilled that you've joined us this morning. However it is that you're coming to us, either uh, through YouTube or Facebook or Twitch or any of our social media channels, really delighted that you're here. Um, beginning this morning and over the course of this month, we want to look at a handful of passages from the book of Psalms with an eye towards answering the question, how do we have strength for the journey? How do we sustain in the journey and in the ongoing struggle and the pain and disappointment? Um, what will sustain us? Uh, over the course of the next few moments and over these next several weeks, we want to hover over this question and trust that the Holy Spirit will hear our cries, will respond to us with the necessary healing and refreshment and reminders and courage and challenges. So we're asking, how do we run and not grow weary, as Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians? Or, or how do we hold fast to the words of Jesus when he said to the disciples and to us, all things are possible with God? Or how do we experience the truth spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he declares in Isaiah 40, 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not be faint. Now, listen, I, I don't come to this question as a, as a wise holy man, though I sometimes play one on live streams and YouTube channels. I, I, I come to this question as a fellow questioner, as one who needs to be sustained along with you for the journey that we have ahead. Yesterday, I was on a call with a number of our small group leaders and ministry team leaders. We were checking in on one another, asking how each other is doing. And that can be just kind of a nebulous question sometimes with a thousand ways to answer. So we zeroed in on how each of us were doing emotionally and spiritually. And there was a range of answers, but the one prevailing response was... Uh, one of weariness, a weariness that was settling into our hearts because of the agonizing season that we're in. 
And though it was landing on people in different ways and to different degrees of intensity, it was nevertheless felt by everyone on the call, and I suspect that it's a shared feeling by most of you on the stream this morning. And in response to that shared experience, I want to invite us to listen to how the Psalms might respond to our groaning and to our need for sustenance in the journey. And what I sense that we'll hear is God saying to his children that there is strength for the road ahead, including the hardest parts of the road. There's not only survival, but thriving and flourishing, and dare I say it, joy that can be found even in the valley of the shadow of death, where we are assured that God offers refreshment for our souls. The first psalm for us to hear is Psalm 46. The passage begins in verse 1. God is our refuge. Now somebody say refuge and strength. And I don't mean say it in your heart. I mean say it out loud. Refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Now some of you may want to type ever-present in the chat or in the comment section. The passage says, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The passage begins with an affirmation of God's presence and his continued ongoing presence, his ever presence, a theme that we'll return to shortly. But then the passage names the pain. It names the death and the destruction. It goes on to address the painful fact that things aren't as they should be. The earth has given way. The mountains have faltered. The seas have become a tempest. Those things that we believed to be steadfast and sturdy and unmovable have shifted under us and over us. On Thursday, California experienced an earthquake, measured 4.2 on the Richter scale. The news called it, and I quote, a garden variety earthquake. Now, I remember the first time I was in an earthquake. I had uh, moved to the San Francisco Bay Area from Dallas. It was during my first semester in seminary, and the ground moved, jolted, shook. Well, not much, but more than I had ever experienced the ground moving, and I didn't know what to do. Like, I ran into the hallway. I stood in the door jam of my door because I read somewhere that that's what you're supposed to do in an earthquake. I started praying to the Lord of heaven and earth and I'm given like the Hail Marys and the good God Almighty's and several other students most of them from like San Jose California or LA they're walking past me and they're looking at me while I'm sweating and they're like bro it's done you're okay that was a small one and I was like yo ground ain't supposed to move brother and they say to me yeah well it does here because there's times when the earth gives way when the mountains no longer stand tall, but they crumble and fall into the sea. When waters that once gave life suddenly seem intent on taking life. The psalmist alerts us to the truth that we can find ourselves in hostile geographies. We can find ourselves in a land where the things that were once meant to bring joy and life, things like hugs and greetings or a song, are now the very things that spread a sickness that has killed nearly 160,000 Americans, including 585 fellow Washingtonians. Those lost include William Roosevelt German, longtime White House butler, whose service spanned Presidents Dwight Eisenhower to Barack Obama. We lost Alice Gullity, who at the time of her passing was the oldest professor at Howard University, a pioneer in mental health and tireless local civil rights activist. 
and John Sebastian Laird Hammond, a Franciscan monk who served here in D.C. at the Franciscan Monastery of the Holy Land in America and was the first D.C. resident to die due to COVID. And there are others, of course, names that you could add, family members and friends, each of them precious in the sight of God. We are in hostile lands, dear friends, and in many ways we've been here a long time. On Thursday, I joined uh, with a webinar on the history of housing displacement and gentrification hosted by our friends at the DC Unity and Justice Fellowship. It was a, a powerhouse of information chronicling DC's long running history of dislocating people, almost exclusively people of color and the poor, so that way may be made for those wealthy and white. From its beginnings, DC was founded on the displacement of others. First, it was the indigenous Piscataway Nation and the tribes that lived in the Native American village of Nakachtank, located along the banks of what is now the Anacostia River. From that starting point, it was waves of dislocation of the growing African-American community who found haven in D.C. And this pattern has run up until today, where the poor and primarily African-American residents are being dislocated from the only city and communities that they have known, so that, again, way may be made for those wealthy and white. The modern examples of D.C.'s dislocation are legion. They include the dislocation and redevelopment of D.C.'s Navy Yard, the Wharf, Berry Farm, and others. And at each turn, the city has sought to remove those who call this, those places home, forcibly shifting the earth beneath their feet of our neighbors, pushing the mountains into the sea. And at each turn, the city has failed to live up to their promises to ensure that affordable housing is provided for those who have lost out on the economic boom that has been the last decade and a half in the city. David Long is professor of missiology at Seattle Pacific University, and in his book, Race and Place, he notes, geography reveals how race works systematically and not just individually. Geography can be hostile, and it's most hostile when it is used to communicate to a people that your life matters less than the lives of others, and that your family's well-being isn't as important as the well-being of others. When we as a community eradicate housing, especially a housing for those living in poverty, we're communicating just that, and that's why, as a follower of Jesus, become troubled when I see leaders disparaging the presence of affordable housing as though it's a sign of trouble, when in reality, when built with dignity, is a sign of health, hope, and opportunity. And I say this not only as a pastor, but as a child raised in affordable housing projects. Mr. Love at the door. He's coming up to join our stream. The psalmist doesn't pull punches. He doesn't say it is when it isn't. The earth doesn't give way sometimes. The waters roar at us and mountains quake to threaten us. And yet the psalmist goes on to establish the truth that there is another geography. There's another deeper truth. Psalm 46 verses 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob, our fortress. The psalmist writes that there is a geography, a city of God, wherein gladness and joy are the hallmarks. A geography, an, an address that the Most High calls home. A geography that is not void of God's presence nor God's help. And what's fascinating about these first seven verses is that their book ended with this great proclamation that God is with us. In verse one, God is our refuge and our ever-present help. And in verse seven, we are told again that the Lord Almighty is with us. And sandwiched in between is the truth that there is hostility and a city which the gladness of God resides. 
And what that means is that God is present in both. God is with us in the earthquake and God is with us in the holy places where God dwells. God is there and God is here and God is with you and with us. As theologian Walter Brueggemann explains, these verses are in effect vetoing the claims of the enemy on our lives. They're disarming the enemy's ability to terrorize the children of God any longer. It isn't simply that God will be or has promised to be a refuge, but rather that God is a refuge right in the present circumstances. And as such, those that sing with the psalmist, God is with us, are transported from the pit to the wings of God, from the place of powerlessness to utter safety. And what makes this move at all possible is the ever presence of God. This is what has the power to sustain us in our work of justice and in our fights of faith and our pursuit to love others as Christ loves them. It is the knowing that God is our strength and he is with us. The psalmist then moves to an invitation, verses eight through nine. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. The psalmist invites us to bear witness to the work that God is doing. And what is that work? It is the work of dismantling the kingdoms of the world, the eradication of all that would mar and mangle God's image bearers. The psalmist says that God will be about the work of bringing to desolation all that is contrary to his kingdom. God is making wars cease, and he is breaking the weapons of war. Stated differently, God is peacemaking and weapon breaking. The psalmist is echoing the prophet Isaiah in chapter 2, where the prophet writes in verses 4 through 5, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. God is a God who brings peace and breaks the weapons of war. The the thing about the psalmist's invitation, it simply says, come and see what the Lord has done. But every invitation, hear this, every invitation to witness God's handiwork is also an invitation to bear witness to that work and to live in light of that work, to join God in that work as a testimony to God's work. Even as the starting point is God, the initiator is God, and that too has sustaining merit. The psalmist and the Lord are inviting us to the work of peacemaking and the work of weapon breaking. And once engaged in that work, to shed ourselves of the weight that says the work is about us and our effort. I want to say that I've witnessed the Lord doing the work of peacemaking, and I've witnessed it happening in our midst. As I've marched with you and prayed with you and protested alongside you, I've seen it as you've given sacrificially to support the Minor Mutual Aid Network, as you've served young mothers through Young Lives Ministry and supported families in DC 127. I've heard echoes of God's peacemaking as many of you have continued the hard work of weaving community in your neighborhoods through block parties like what happened recently in the Rosedale neighborhood and through front porch conversations that you've had. We must continue to engage in this work of weapon breaking, working as unto the Lord's to lay to desolation the weapons of war that are, that are brought down on the necks of our neighbors. 
Many of these weapons are subtle yet serpentine as they are embedded in economic policies and housing policies, education policies, immigration policies, and policing policies that stifle flourishing oppressed people and are antithetical to the kingdom of God. This work can be, and it's often exhausting, and it can be humiliating. And there are days where it can feel futile. But what the psalmist says, and what can sustain us in the work, is the reminder that God is at hand, that God is present in the work, that God is the one who initiated the work, that he's the one who will sustain the work, and he's the one who ultimately lays waste to the unjust systems and structures that have their origins in the kingdom of Satan. Friends, though the road is long and the work is hard, the late great civil rights leader and statesman John Lewis was right when he wrote in his recent New York Times editorial published upon his passing last week, when he wrote, humanity has been involved in this soul-wrenching existential struggle for a very long time. And we're wise to hear his counsel to us to let the spirit of peace and the power of everlasting love be your guide. Brueggemann again would say it this way, as, as Christians, our lives always move between the pit of the enemy and the sheltering wings of God between the shattering of disorientation and the gift of life. This is why our baptism is such a disruptive and subversive liturgy. It shouts to the enemy and reminds us that life has the first and the final word over death. The psalmist ends the chapter with the same truth and the same hope that he began with. Verse 10 and 11, the psalmist writes, Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And here we find our second invitation. Not only to the action of peacemaking and breaking war weapons, but of stillness. An invitation to do what Jesus invited us to do in John 15 when he says to us, Remain in me. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. The final invitation is to rest in the Lord. And there is nothing that will sustain us so certainly in the fight of faith and the work of justice as God's anchoring presence in us and our consistent abiding in him. For that is a well that will never run dry. And as we round out this morning, the, the thing I want to do is extend that same invitation to you that the psalmist extends to us. The invitation to join God in his peacemaking, in his weapon breaking. To join him in his work of renewal and redemption. If you've been on the fence or not sure what to do or how or with whom, let today be the day of decision or a recommitment to the work that is at hand. I know some of you have been about it for a long time. As it's said in boxing circles, you ain't new to this, you're true to this. You've, you've been working hard, maybe too hard at times. And weariness has set in, or cynicism. And the invitation to you from Psalm 46 is, is to be still, to abide with the Lord, to remember that the work is on him and he's got this. The Spirit wants to refresh your soul, to meet you where you are and let you know that you are seen, that you are loved, and to remind you that the Lord Almighty is with you. God of heaven is your fortress.
Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that Psalm 46 would saturate our souls this morning. That the, that, the, that the cadence of the psalmist, that God is with us, our ever-present help, our strength and our refuge, the fortress to which we can run and be protected, that that, that, that truth would, would stir in us and refresh us this morning. God, that we would sit and rest with you, that we would abide in you, and that that abiding, that rest would fuel our work of faith and justice. God, that you would stir us. And we would soak in your love and that we would remain in your love as Jesus commanded us and invited us. I pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.